BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From Dear Media and Rom-Com Pods comes a scripted podcast so outrageously inappropriate, we can't believe they let us put it on the air. Meet my best friend, Allie. Like, gross, close best. Hello? Wait. Everyone loves a messy bitch. And Ellie's life was about to get a whole lot messier. Maybe 2022 is going to be my year. Yeah, 2022 is definitely not going to be her year. Ellie's going to bone, marry, and bury three different people. Get it? Bone, marry, bury? Like, fuck, marry, kill? I just wanted to say that, but it didn't clear legal. Ready to play? Introducing Bone Mary Berry, starring Sarah Hyland, Harvey Guillen, and Tommy Martinez. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today and this week. It's a very special week. This is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. As you know, many of our Real Pod episodes focus on eating disorders, disordered eating, body image, body insecurities, healing our relationship with food, intuitive eating, and so much more. But especially this week, I wanted the podcast to do something special. Now, today's interview is one that was an incredibly full circle moment for me. And still, you know, it's very surreal for me to think about the fact that this conversation happened. To give you a little background about our guest today and why this is so special to me, as many of you loyal RealPod listeners know, I used to struggle with a binge eating disorder which has a lot to do with emotional eating, compulsive eating, right? And when I was going through this, which by the way, if you scroll down on the podcast, there is an episode titled My Eating Disorder Story. I believe it came out last year at this time. I also have a YouTube video, so you can check either of those out if you want all the details. But in that story, and a lot of times, as I mentioned, my healing journey, I bring up a book called Breaking Free from Emotional Eating by Janine Roth. This book was given to me by my mom because she knew that I was struggling and she didn't really understand like what it was or how to help me. And I think she did some Google searching and she came across this really popular New York Times bestselling author, Janine Roth, 
who had a book titled Breaking Free from Emotional Eating, which had fantastic reviews and had been a saving grace for so many emotional compulsive eaters. So my mom gave me this book. And at first, I honestly was mortified because as a lot of you know, when you struggle with body image and food, and at least for me, especially like binge eating, Like it's one thing, and this is like a dark joke. It's one thing to be like, oh, I like don't eat enough. It's another thing to be like, I eat way too much, like more than my brothers combined. I'm just like pounding power bars. I mean, it's just very, for me at the time, shameful. And I just could not believe that I was kind of associating myself with these labels of emotional eating, compulsive eating, binge eating. However, I'm like, I will give this book a try because when you're at a place with food where you are really, really struggling, as I'm sure some of you know, which is not a great place to be in, you will do anything to find peace. And sometimes, a lot of times, we think that peace is going to be looking a certain way or getting our body to be a certain way, right? And we're like, oh, if I could literally just snap my fingers. I used to think if a higher power would just give me my dream body and no matter what I ate or did, it would never change. Oh my gosh, just life would be so easy and perfect. I literally would have that visual in my mind. If I could get a dream body and then be frozen that way forever, like how peaceful life would be. But what I didn't realize about that statement at the time was that the dream body and number on the scale was not what was going to give me peace. It was the liberation and the freedom from having to think about calories, food, what I was eating, how I could eat, when I could eat, what I was going to weigh the next day. That was the piece, was to not be so obsessed and consumed with food and the way that I looked. And I didn't realize that I could get there without needing to look a certain way. And so as I was saying, I was just desperate to break free from the hold that food and diet culture had on me. And this book was literally titled Breaking Free from Emotional Eating. And so I gave it a chance. And this book certifiably changed my life. I just, for lack of a better term, ate every word of this book up. And it was just spot on to how I was feeling. And it's actually what was my first introduction to intuitive eating. I do want to add a little side note here that everyone's healing journey is different. And while this book was transcending for me, it might not be for you. And there might be other things that you need to do, whether it's conversations that you need to have, therapy you need to go to. And yes, I went to therapy once a week. You know, I I did other things as well, but this book was really a turning point for me. So just flagging that you're not a failure if a book doesn't change your life or you know, don't compare your situation to mine or to someone else's more. So just take in the fact that seeking help, right. And being open to learning and to new things for all of us in one way or another can help. So the guest on today's episode is the author of that book, Janine Roth. Now this episode was one of the very, very, very first episodes of real pod that said, I do not think a lot of you have heard it. I would bet the majority of you have not heard this episode. Please don't get turned off by the fact that I'm saying it's a rerun because this episode, I would not rerun it if I did not think it was amazing. This conversation and what Janine talks about, there was so much to learn and she's so wise. And I want to share it with all of you now. We have tons and tons of new RealPod listeners. And even if you are like a diehard RealPod listener and you were here at like episode seven and you heard it already, I really do think, first of all, wait, hi, I love you. Are you serious? Are you serious? Do you know how much I love you? I love you so much. 
But what I'm saying is I do think it is worth the second listen. I think I've listened to this episode like five times. I listened to it tons of times when it came out. And then I listened to it like every once in a while when I need to go back to it. Anyways, we're going to get to the episode. Thank you for bearing with me for that introduction. I think it's really important to set the tone. Quick shout out to Isabel. What's up, Isabel? She left a review titled My Saving Grace. I've been a RealPod fan for about a year now. No idea how I came across it, but so glad I did. For years, I've struggled with anxiety about my weight and appearance and have been surrounded by such negative diet culture. Discovering this podcast made me realize I'm not alone and even the best of the best, Victoria, oh my God, you're so sweet, go through the same issues. I'm getting married in the fall. Listening to this podcast every week has been the best reminder of how much I'm worth, regardless of how much I weigh on my big day. Vicky, you are an inspiration for women of all ages. I'm so grateful for how you open up about your struggles. You deserve the world. I'm so excited to see your happily ever after. Thank you for all that you do. Ah, oh my gosh, Isabel, you got me crying in the club this morning. That is the sweetest, sweetest review. I'm so glad you stumbled upon RealPod and that you stayed. And I love, I love that it's wedding season for both of us. How exciting. Thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in. I appreciate your time. I know it's valuable. Thank you for choosing to spend it here with us. If you want to leave me a rating or a review, you can do so on iTunes or Spotify, and you just might be the special shout out on next week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you get that automatic download every single Wednesday. Without further ado, let's get into this episode on breaking free from emotional eating with the one and only Janine Roth. Thank you for inviting me into your lovely home. I would have never imagined I'd be sitting across from you face to face because to give you a little bit about me, I was battling with emotional eating, stress eating, binging as a result of so many things going on in my life, hating the way my body looked. And my mom, I told her about a binge I had, which was so hard for me to do. I called her crying and said I just ate everything in sight and I couldn't stop myself. And she gave me your book. And I read it in probably four or five hours because I just could not stop reading because it was so relatable. And I felt like Mm. it was written for me. And that was my moment that forever changed the way I I had viewed food, my relationship with food. So thank you. Thank you for that. I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) My favorite phrase from Women, Food, and God was our relationship with food is an exact microcosm of our relationship to life itself. How would you explain that to a 17, 18 year old girl who doesn't really understand the power that food is having on her life? I would say it's not just about food, but it's also about judgments, about body size. And that at 17 years old, so much is going on. So many changes are happening. And I remember when I was 17 and my body was foremost up there, the size of my body and therefore my relationship with food, what I was putting in my mouth, how it was affecting the size of my thighs, my arms, my face, and whatever was going on for me, all the many factors, relationship, parental stuff, friends, school, all got funneled into my relationship with food and my body. So I would say that that's the first thing to know that it it's sort of like you have a, a blank, a b- blank canvas and whatever going on in your life, you throw onto your relationship with food. 
and your and therefore the size of your body or you, the size of your body and therefore your relationship with food, since those things are really related to each other. So you can't really separate what's going on in your life with what's going on with your feelings and judgments and opinions and interpretations about the size of your body and what you eat. They're the same thing. There's no difference between those things. Right. And it, yet it seems like so many women have an issue or a toxic cycle with food. 80% of women are disordered eaters. What do you think it is that triggers so many women to go into that cycle of dieting, binging, wanting to be perfect? Does it have to do with relationships growing up, comments when we're young? I'd love to know what you think about social media these days. I think it's, it's multi-layered. I don't think it's one thing. I think we're growing up in a culture with social media where we end up comparing ourselves with somebody's finished. And I know the new thing now is unfinished black and white Instagram photos. My nephew is completely into Instagram and style and being an Instagram influencer. And so he's always telling me about the newest thing and the newest thing is unretouched photos. But for a while, it was comparing what we look and feel like in the moment with somebody else's perfect photo and coming up really short. So that's, that, that is something that people do every single day by checking their social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, the, the, the whole thing. Totally. I mean, we wake up looking at it. We go to sleep looking at it. It's impossible to escape. It's impossible to escape. But that was not something that you had growing up. So if you could briefly describe to me how you sort of found your calling and realized that there was a greater thing happening between yourself and food, how did you get to where you are specifically when you began? You know, I want to backtrack for one second and say that the culture that women and women's bodies sort of swim in is quite damaging, I would say, Mm -hmm. to women and the attitude still. And of course, it's becoming more and more outed in terms of the Me Too movement, in terms of women speaking up about harassment and the comments they get and the touches they get. But the attitude about women's bodies is quite damaging. And it started a a really long time ago. I'm reading a book now about the history of dieting that goes back 2,000 years. So it started 2,000 years ago. I think image and body is a direct, from society, it, it directly explains like, are you worthy? Are you good enough? Are you everything we're looking for just because of your appearance? Yes. So often women feel because we've been taught to feel like that. And because we're swimming in a culture that values us because of what we look like, less so, but still, still. Very much. Yes. So it means that the size of our lives, meaning how much we allow ourselves to feel and have and how much satisfaction and power and joy we have is directly related to the size of our bodies. So you feel like you can have a bigger life only if you have a smaller body. And that equation is, is just, it's just so damaging. When did you realize that for yourself? Well, I was so obsessed with food 
starting from very young. I was uh, probably by the time I was five or six, I started feeling like I was too fat to, in those years, it was chubby mm-hmm. and too chubby. By the time I was 11, I was on my first diet, fourth grade. Is that, you did that by yourself or did a parent say you're chubby and you lose weight? I know my mom is Greek. Her mom threw her in Weight Watchers when she was like 12. Yeah. So <laughs> my mother, my mother felt like I was too chubby, told me I was too chubby. I remember the, a defining moment uh, for me was during the summer and the good humor man, he has an ice cream truck. Oh, you hear the music coming. Yeah. (laughs) He'd come around twice a day. And so we'd all go running out and get our, whatever it was, creamsicles, toasted almond, hot fudge sundae things. And this, for the second time that day, I went out with all the other kids and my mother said I couldn't have a second one because I was getting fat. That was when I was 11. And I started associating then being fat with being unlovable because I grew up in a very troubled household and one in which I always wanted more of my mother's attention. I mean, some girls want less of their mother's attention. Some girls feel intruded upon by their mothers. I felt like my mother was unavailable and she actually was unavailable. And so I blamed my weight. I started blaming the size of my body on what I perceived as the lack of love or wanting or cherishing between my mother and me. And that was the beginning of the obsession as I knew it. And as I lived with it for many, many years, the equating love and value, I would say value, really my value as a human being with the size of my body, because then it just expanded out to friends and school and boyfriends and how I felt about myself when I stood up in front of my high school class. And it just fanned out and affected everything. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. They are America's number one meal kit because they send you fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes that are delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and it makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. I love HelloFresh. I've used it with Max. My favorite dishes are the pasta dishes. They're so good. And HelloFresh has these really good like sauce kits or like flavor kits that you can add that are divine. Like you can't find those anywhere. And not only is it delicious, but HelloFresh offers flexibility that you need with customizable orders every week. So I can like add in extra proteins and sides, change up the serving size, or just double up on our favorite recipes. I love that you can mix and match and always keep it fresh. Plus, it saves me time and stress because the recipes are so easy to follow and quick to make. It takes so much time to actually think about what you want to make and then go to the store and make sure you have all the ingredients. I don't know about you, but I hate going to the store to like get ingredients for one meal. Like that's just not worth it for me. So it saves me so much time because HelloFresh delivers the recipe all of the ingredients you would need in the perfect like proportion sizes so that there's no waste and then steps and pictures to guide you along the way because you guys know I am a new cook so I need those pictures. If you're ready to up your cooking game, it's time to try America's number one meal kit by going to hellofresh.com slash realpod16 and use code realpod16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, you guys, this offer is amazing. HelloFresh.com slash realpod1616 and use code 
RealPod16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. I hope you love it. I hope you give it a try. Can't wait to see what you make. Now, for the last decade, since signing the 15% pledge in 2020, Macy's has tripled the number of Black-owned brands that they carry. Macy's shows they are committed to using their purchasing power to represent and benefit the Black community by celebrating Black creators and visionaries who are building legacy and influencing culture and style. This is exciting because Macy's has partnered with several organizations who are working to improve social justice, education, economic development, and workforce opportunities that impact Black communities. Over the last decade, Macy's has worked to build a workforce that represents the communities they serve at all levels and to cultivate a culture of belonging. When you head to Macy's.com honors, you can find out more and shop from a selection of incredible Black-owned brands featuring beauty, home products, and clothing, including a new exclusive collection from Macy's X Casper, featuring the signature colors behind historically Black sororities. So join in supporting Black history and Black brilliance by shopping Black-owned brands. And you can help fund scholarships for students at historically Black colleges and universities by donating online and rounding up in store for UNCF. You can learn more about all of this at macy's.com honors. Once again, it's an easy Google search to help support Black history and Black-owned brands by heading to macy's.com honors honors. Macy's, M-A-C-Y-S dot com slash honors, H-O-N-O-R-S. Macy's dot com slash honors. What were you thinking was the body you needed to have to be loved? Ah, much thinner, whatever it was. There were two girls in school whose bodies were thin and I wanted their bodies. I wanted their hair too, but mostly I wanted their bodies. And I think we've all been there, and especially in high school. You see that one girl and you're like, if I could have her body, life would be easy. Life would be great. Yeah. I really believed that if I could have her body, I'd be fine. And if I were thin, everything would be fine. That somehow all the trouble that I was feeling or all the unhappiness or chaos or confusion would go away. I was absolutely convinced it would all disappear. Mm-hmm if I could lose weight and be thin. And I believed that really till I was 28. So it's not, it just exacerbated through the years. Wow. And so did you ever feel like you reached that point of thinness of desirable appearance and then were unhappy or you maybe you were happy? What journey did you take yourself with dieting and with your body until you were 28? Very extreme. I just went for the extremes. I was addicted to diet pills for four years, which meant I basically never slept because that's being addicted to amphetamine speed from 15 to 19. Moving backwards, when I was in high school, I went on a thousand calorie a day sugar diet. I There were a couple of weeks I just ate grape nuts, only grape nuts. Then I was on, these were all diets of my own making. I also went on Weight Watchers and Atkins and Stillman's in those years. Uh, That's what they were called. I mean, they're so-called Weight Watchers and maybe Atkins. I don't think Dr. Stillman is around anymore. And then I do things like eat one meatball a day with a little Mott's dietetic raspberry applesauce. That was what I would eat. I did the one hot fudge Sunday a day diet. Then when I was in college, I went on a diet for three weeks that was, I called the all brown diet. It was coffee, 
diet, cream soda, and cigarettes. And did all of these things you were doing to yourself get you to that body you thought? No, was never. Because that's it's it's a a multi layered attitude one has about oneself, but mostly it comes from the inside. So yes, there was objectively the fact that I was over my natural weight. And I, as a high school boyfriend of mine told me, my my body was made of all circles, you know, that I was round. Mm -hmm. So there was that. But then there was a lack of value I felt inside myself. You know, I say in Women, Food, and God, when you look at the world through shattered lenses, the world looks shattered. So the lenses that I was wearing to see myself with were shattered. There wasn't a weight I could have gotten to where I would have felt okay. There was a time for a year and a half I became anorexic. I whittled myself down to 82 pounds by only eating 150 calories a day and jogging three or four miles a day and fasting at every change of the season. And even then I looked at myself and I saw fat. Everybody around me was quite concerned, but I'd never felt good enough because on the inside, I didn't feel good enough. So Mm -hmm. there was no way that any weight was ever going to make me feel good enough because I kept looking at that weight and at my body through not enough eyes. And then when did the compulsive binge eating start for you? Is this after you had been restricting for so long? Well, I was always a binger. You know, I would go on diets and then, you know, I say, I think it was probably in Breaking Free, I say this, that for every diet, there's an equal and opposite binge. I totally agree. (laughs) Yes. There's just that kind of restriction always leads to all hell breaking loose because there's, that's sort of the law of the universe. My favorite point you brought up there was if you tell yourself you can't have something you will want it even if you don't. And you talk about these cookies you had thought were so, so good because you don't let yourself have them. But really you have the cookie and you're like, it's not as good as I've been convincing myself it is. No, no, it never is. Because again, it's the internal attitude. When you say to yourself, you can't have it because you're bad. You can't have it because if you had it, you would go careening off the side of the cliff and you'd never stop eating. You can't have it because you lack value. Now that people probably don't say that, but you know, if you do have it- They're not saying it, but that's what- It's happening, for sure. So that's a terrible reason to not eat something. Now, you know, I work with a lot of people who are on restricted- food plants, so to speak, diabetics, people with high blood pressure, people with heart issues. And there's a whole lot of foods that their doctors tell them they shouldn't eat, they can eat. Now, somebody who feels really good about themselves and wants to feed their body so that they thrive and they're happy, they're healthy, they're robust, they're strong, can stop eating something for a very positive reason, which is this will help my body thrive. That's a whole other line. That's not deprivation. For instance, an athlete who might need their body to be a certain way for performance. They need protein at this time, even if it's not what they were craving. Right. So they're eating for something. They're not 
eating against themselves. And I think there's a big difference there. When you eat for yourself, for because you feel good and you or and or you want to feel better. But doesn't that get sticky? Because if I was an I was a college athlete and if I'm telling myself I have to eat these things to perform better and then I I mess up and I have something that wasn't in my plan for the day. Am and I now shaming myself like I'm not a good enough athlete. I don't deserve to win because I couldn't stick to this diet. Well, all along, it's really important to be aware of and disengage from that shaming voice because that shaming voice is there no matter what you weigh and no matter what you eat. And if it doesn't shame you about what you're eating and the size of your body, it will shame you about what you're doing and your relationships and the work and when it looks like you've so-called failed or you've been rejected or any of 10,000 reasons. I call that voice the GPS from the twilight zone. That will is not your friend and that will lead you straight to hell. That's the thing about that voice. And we all have one. Developmentally, we had to have one. By the time we were four, we had to learn not to put our hands in fire, not to go running into traffic, not to throw food on the walls, not to go around biting people. I mean, we had to learn to be, you know, to have some kind of manners. But if we still are being run by that voice, and many people are, I would say that's the driving voice for most people. I got to get more. I got to be thinner. I'm not good enough. I haven't accomplished enough yet. Look at what she's done. Look at that's a voice of comparative judgment. That's a voice of shame. That's a voice of guilt. I mean, we're we're talking that's a big voice there. Totally. And I think the question everyone has as they hear you say this is how do I get rid of that shaming voice? You don't get rid of it is number one. Just realize I, I, I this voice got developed. This is part of developmental human behavior. You don't get rid of it. What you do is you learn to, well, first of all, you hear it. And and the way you know you're under its thumb is when you feel collapsed or you feel paralyzed, you feel really small, you were just skipping along your day and everything was fine. And suddenly you feel one inch tall and you don't even quite know what happened. What, what just happened? It's not like, you know, something, something big could have happened. Like Mm -hmm. you could have not gotten a job you really wanted or gotten an email from a friend who was mad at you or felt rejected in some other way. So something big could have happened. But on the other hand, it just could have been a thought that came in. You could have looked at somebody else's Instagram picture and thought, oh my God, I am such a failure. And then suddenly everything you do is wrong. You feel this big? What's the point? I'm a failure. I've never done it right. I'm never going to get it right. It's it's almost like you've erased yourself from the face of the earth. That's the sign. Now, what happens- I think we've all been there. (laughs) I think many of us, I mean, I had to deal with this voice. I just can't tell you how many years I had to work with this voice and not merge with it because most of us merge with this voice. We believe it. We feel it's sort of like a diet voice in the way in the way that, well, if I don't believe it, 
all hell will break loose. You know, what, what will make me try? What will motivate me? If I'm not telling myself I'm a failure and I'm not good enough, what's going to get me to create or to do what I love? I need, I need that. Or they can't even figure out what they, they can't fathom the fact that they do believe in themselves or they do like themselves. So the easy thing is just to buy in and support this voice. Right. And join the suffering club because that's the thing. When you join the voice because so many other people have merged with their voices, you're not alone because it's you and your voice. As long as that voice is around inside you, you're not alone because it's a parent voice. It's an adult. It's like a big person and talking to a little person. So you're not alone. And then you have all the other people who are merged with are telling you, oh, I really blew it this weekend. I'm terrible. I did this. I did. And so then you feel like you're part of a tribe because you too feel bad about yourself it's, and they feel bad about it's themselves. very hard to be the only positive person in a group of negative minds yes it is because negativity is contagious it's it's really true this takes vigilance and the reason it's important is because what's the alternative otherwise you walk around feeling horrible about yourself Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know they are one of our sponsors here at RealPod and that I am such a huge advocate for therapy. If you go to betterhelp.com slash RealPod, they will assess your needs, whether it's anxiety, depression, relationships, trauma, grief, family complex, you name it, and you will be matched with your own licensed professional who can start communicating with you in under 48 hours. You can message your counselor at any time and get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed, which is a feature I think is so necessary. And I love it because like finding a therapist is like dating. You've got to find the right one that you really vibe with. BetterHelp is more convenient and affordable than in-person therapy and financial aid is available, making it even more affordable. In fact, BetterHelp has become so popular. Did you all know they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states? It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And as a RealPod listener, you can get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash RealPod. That's 10% off your first month. Don't miss on the discount at betterhelp.com slash RealPod to join over 1 million people who have sought help for their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash RealPod for 10% off. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet, Um, which a side note is me. My OBGYN just told me I'm low in vitamin D, which I'm freaking out. I'm like, do I need to go outside more? And she's like, no, that's not going to help. Like you need to take some supplements. And 95% of those women also are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Well, our new sponsor Ritual is here to help. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women aged 18 and over. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. Basically, when you take Ritual multivitamins, you know that that vitamin is doing the work to kind of fill in the spaces, the gaps, the blanks that you might not be getting in the nutrients in the food that you eat every day. 
And Ritual invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. The Essential for Women 18 Plus Vitamin was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43%, which your girl needs, and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. The clinical study was published in a leading scientific journal, Frontiers in Nutrition, and a published clinical study is a big deal. As if it couldn't get any better, Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and the non-GMO project, traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients, and always clear communication. So no shady stuff. Right now, Ritual is offering RealPod listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash RealPod and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash RealPod. One of the best lines you had in Breaking Free was something along the lines of, I want to have a better relationship with food more than I want to eat this thing. Yes. And that stood out to me the most. And so you're 28 now. And what happened for you that you realized there is a voice, there's something more going on. And you started curiously exploring that. I hit bottom. And, you know, part of the reason I've written the books I've written is so that other people don't have to go so low because I really went low. After I was anorexic and weighed 82 pounds and I couldn't stand that deprivation anymore because really what I was eating was like an apple and a couple of cashews. It's crazy. I skipped lunch accidentally and I'm in the worst mood ever. I mean, I can't imagine what I would be like if I didn't eat for three days. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to function or communicate with people. I'd be so mean. <laughs> yes, right. Well, I, I wasn't the nicest person. But then I started eating and I didn't stop eating. And I really mean I didn't stop. The only times I stopped was when I was so nauseated, I couldn't continue. And then I would stop eating for 10 minutes, 15 minutes till the nausea, half an hour, an hour till the eating, till the nausea subsided. And then I'd start again and I'd eat, I don't know. 20,000 calories a day. I don't even know. I don't really, I didn't really count. Sometimes I would write down what I ate. But then what happened is I ended up doubling my weight in two months. I went from 82 pounds to 160 pounds in two months. And it was at that point that I felt like I couldn't live like this anymore. I was 28, had been on either a diet or a binge every minute of the day since I was 11. Consumes your whole life. You can't think about anything but food. And I realized I I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't. The amount of self-hatred that I felt, I felt like I could have ripped myself apart bone by bone. I hated myself when I was gaining that weight, hated myself. And while you're doing it. In oh, the yeah. Act of eating, oh, yeah. But I couldn't it. stop. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to 160 pounds, I realized, and there were a couple of factors. I had gone back to school to become a doctor. So I was taking pre-med courses that I hadn't taken in college. I hated them. I was terrible at physics. I wasn't great at math. Biology was okay, but I, I, but I didn't know what else I was going to do if I didn't be a doctor. So that was the other confusing thing in there. And finally, when I couldn't take it anymore, I realized, okay, I can't live like this anymore. I feel like my life is over. I'm 28. I feel like my life is over. I don't know what I want to do. If it's not be a doctor, I had no idea. 
And I had just doubled my weight. And I hated myself. So I decided it wasn't really a decision so much as that life wasn't worth living and I and I was going to kill myself. So I went to a bookstore. I was visiting a friend in Mill Valley. I lived in Santa Cruz at the time and I went to a bookstore and I started this before the internet. So I started looking at books about drugs and guns. And, you know, I thought, well, I could always drive myself over the cliff. Um, I'd lived in Big Sur for a while and there were a lot of cliffs there. And then while I was sitting on the floor of the bookstore, I saw a book called Fat is a Feminist Issue by mm-hmm. Susie Orbach. And in that book, she talks about women using food to express something they don't know how to say in any other way. And for the first time in my life, I thought, oh, maybe this whole thing is actually an expression of sanity, not insanity. Mm. Maybe I'm trying to say something through my weight and food that I feel like I'm not allowed to say any other way. And I thought, okay, I'll give myself three weeks. I will go on this, maybe. I will stop dieting. I will never go on another diet again. I will, she didn't talk about that, but I had decided I I wasn't going back there. I told myself I could eat what I wanted and I give myself three weeks and there was nothing to lose because I was already as low as I could go and I was ready to kill myself. So there wasn't more to lose there. And then I felt like when I stopped dieting, First thing that happened was I stopped dieting. I was like, oh, oh my God, I'm out of prison. I can eat what I want. I felt like I was breaking a 10, one of the 10 commandments. Right. Because your whole life you're, you're dieting and you're being told you have to eat at this time, eat at that time, eat this and don't eat that. I felt liberated. I felt like, oh my God, I can't believe this was available this entire time. So I started eating what I wanted, what my mind wanted. Then it became what my body wanted. I realized what my mind wanted was only sugar. And you're figuring this out all on your own. Someone like me had your book to guide me through this, but you're just curiously listening to your thoughts, thinking, I'm going to give this a shot and see what's here. Yeah. Which is pretty brave. It sounds like you had an instantaneous I'm going to flip the switch and try something new. Yes. It was an understanding and a willingness to go with that. Would you say that's Tiffany? Is that rare or is that something you try to spark in the the women you work with? Is that aha moment? It's both. I feel like in a way that epiphany was a gift so that I could, was given so that I could pass it on. You know, everybody doesn't have to have epiphanies if I've had one. And then I can I can sure. just deconstruct that mm-hmm. so that people understand that. So I think that's part of the reason that I was given that if we want to use that language. The other thing is it's possible to have that or in any moment that somebody understands, wow, this is not working. What I am doing to myself hurts. It is not worth the cost of my life to have thinner thighs because even when I have thinner thighs, I don't even think I have thinner thighs because I don't like myself. So I can't see that I have thinner. This is not worth it. No, I'm going to stop this. And, you know, one great thing about the work I do is that because I do it in groups of women, women feel not alone. 
you know, at a workshop and particularly at a retreat where we spend almost a whole week and they realize, oh my God, other people feel the same way. And there's this. (gasps) And I don't know what it is about compulsive eating and binging, but there's a lot of shame tied to it. Especially when I was going through it, I didn't want anyone to know. I said, I got your book and I duct taped the front cover because I didn't want, I didn't want anyone seeing that I was reading a book called Breaking Free from Emotional Eating. Right. It was, I wasn't there yet. And so there was all this shame tied to it. And the fact that I, the fact that I couldn't control myself and I didn't like myself. And one of the, my favorite things you wrote in Women, Food, and God was women turn to food when they are not hungry because they are hungry for something they can't name. A connection to what is beyond the concerns of daily life, something deathless, something sacred, but replacing the hunger for divine connection with double stuffed Oreos is like giving a glass of sand to a person dying of thirst. It just creates more thirst and panic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because we're not, you know, the shame, I think, is because we don't get it. You know, we're not honoring ourselves in any way. We're not valuing ourselves. And that women feel like they have to go underground. This whole issue about women's bodies is such a big issue. It is. I mean, it's the shame of women feeling like they've been touched and they're not allowed to tell anybody. I mean, you can just see it all the way through. That's starting to change, but it's changing. I mean, it looks like it's changing rapidly, but it's changing slowly. And it's been going on. The change is great. Women feel like they can speak up. Now, the next thing is, you know, feeling like it's okay to, I mean, why did you feel shame about your body? Because we're swimming in this culture that tells you it's not okay. You're supposed to have it together. And at the same time, values, judges, makes comments, you know, everything is resting on the size of your body. It's, it's just mad. It's a mad world in that way. It is. And especially for women, I know men feel this too, but for some reason, our worth as females is just tied to our appearance. And we're hoping that changes. But I think regardless of how society changes. It's really about how we change the way we view and talk to ourselves and do that before everyone else has decided to realize it. And right. You, and you preach being, and I quote you, unspeakably kind to yourself. Right. What does it mean to be unspeakably kind? And how could someone get there if they're constantly berating and cutting themselves down? Yeah. Well, it's, that disengaging from that voice. And there's a whole process that I write about in Women, Food, and God about that. And, and it's, it's, it's a practice. You know, it's really a practice to disengage from that voice because most of us, you know, a lot of times when I'm teaching a workshop, a weekend workshop, I'll have women write down judgments they've made about themselves in the first 15 minutes since they walked in the door. And I'll, I'll ask them to write down 10. Some of them have 100. Just from the first 15 minutes. Just from, I shouldn't have worn these socks. I can't believe my hair looks like this. Why did I say that to the person next to me? How come I didn't wear lipstick today? I'm disgusting. Look at these rings I'm wearing. I've come to another thing about food and weight. I'm such a failure. Why am I here? I mean, some come up with 10, some come up with 100. 
So that voice is ever present. And I can't stress that enough. So there's that part of you can't be kind to yourself if you're shaming yourself. You can't be kind to yourself if you're judging yourself and relentlessly comparing yourself to somebody else. Kindness doesn't exist. It's a, a foreign land that doesn't exist when we're, when we're shaming and blaming and degrading ourselves and the size of our bodies and comparing ourselves. So that number one is disengaging from that voice. And it's possible to do with practice. And so the other part of being kind to oneself, that's also a practice. You know, you, you don't... Self-compassion. What's the best way someone can figure out what that emptiness is inside of them that they're trying to fix, that void they're trying to fill? How could someone figure out what that is if maybe they don't have the access to therapy or someone else? Journaling, any questions they could ask themselves? What advice would you give to that person that wants to figure out what they're really seeking? Journaling is great. Getting support is really good. Finding at least one other person, a friend, who wants the same thing you want and doing it together is good. I think that it's very good to know you're not alone. I happen to do this by myself, but if I could have found somebody who would have done it with me, I absolutely would have done it with somebody. You know, I have an online course that I recommend people do together. They listen to it together. They do the, the work each week together you, because it's wonderful to have a friend and to not feel alone. And it's not that hard to do this, but it just takes some kind of commitment to do it. So if you're feeling an emptiness inside yourself, if you're feeling like, I don't know why I eat, well, you'll soon find out why you eat when you decide not to eat when you're not hungry, because then all the reasons, you know, I say to people who come to my retreats, I get it. You're coming because you want to work on this. But as soon as you stop using food, what you haven't felt comes up. Because if you've been using food to stuff it down and you stop using food to do it, then there it is. It hasn't gone anywhere. And you have to deal with it. And that's hard to do. Well, you don't have to deal with it. But you, because nobody, you don't have to deal with anything if you don't want to. A lot of people don't deal with it. They just go on another diet and they distract themselves or they look on their Instagram account or, you know, they go to Facebook. There are, there are 10,000 ways to distract yourself from dealing with it. But if you want to get to that place, to get to those stages you're talking about, you are going to have to, do you think? go there well, emotionally? I think it's about meeting yourself, you know? So what you're talking about dealing with it and that, I guess the, the reason I'm responding the way I am to dealing with it, because that sounds uh, like, oh, something I really have to do now and this is going to be hard, mm -hmm. you know, to deal with it. Yeah. And what I would say is, yeah, it's going to come up. There, the reasons that if I decide not to eat when I'm not hungry because I feel lonely or angry or not enough of everything I'd like to be enough of and I don't eat, up is going to come something that I ate to push down. So then my choice is, okay, what do I do about this? Now, people are often scared about that. They're, they're scared, uh-oh, I don't want to have to, I don't want to go there, what if it's too much? 
what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And that's why it's helpful to have a friend, a therapist, a workbook, something like that. And then realize that feelings are just feelings. They're just feelings. They come and they go. Remember what you thought was so important last week? Probably most of most of anybody listening to this, I can't even remember what I was so up in arms about last week and I thought was so important. I can't even remember what it was right. because it passes. That's the nature of feelings. They come and they go and they don't kill us. It's what we tell ourselves about the feelings that's so harmful. This will never end. It means I'm a terrible person. If I, if I really let myself feel like this, it will destroy me. I'll never be able to get off the bed. And usually what happens is, even if you cry about something, you cry and then you stop. And then you decide you want to get up and go outside or you're hungry and you want something to eat or you want to call a friend or pet your dog or, you know, it's over. So we this too shall pass. Yes. And we're not aware of that. We think it's going to last forever. We don't want it to come up because we think it's we think it's going to destroy us. There's also a way vis-a-vis kindness where a feeling comes up. And what I really tell my students is we practice what we call the oh sweetheart practice, which is a feeling comes up, there's sadness. And you feel that you feel it's like, uh oh, there's sadness. I don't want to feel the feeling. As if there's somebody, if you were an adult and there was a kid crying on the side of the road who was sad, would you kick that kid? Would you tell the kid to go away? Or would you say, oh, sweetheart, come over here. Tell me all about it. What's going on? All any feeling wants is to be listened to. And most of us, most of the time, want it to go away. Now, this isn't a convenient time. I don't want to feel sad now, or I'm afraid of feeling sad now, or if I let myself feel sad now, I'll never stop feeling sad. How many of us turn towards, instead of away from, towards the feeling and say, tell me all about it. Hmm. What's going on? I love that analogy. Yeah, it just unwinds itself. It's like, ah. So if the feeling could talk at that point, it would say, oh, finally, somebody's listening to me. That's all I ever wanted was to be listened to. Wow, you're absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. I want you to know that you've changed my life and I don't know where I'd be without your your writings and your books. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week 
seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.